The Old Testament reading for this Sunday is recorded in the prophet Joel, chapter 2, beginning the first verse. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them, fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden. Behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry. With a sound like that of chariots, they leap up over the mountains, like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. Before them, the earth shakes, the sky trembles. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He rends the Old Testament. The epistle reading is recorded in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning verse 5. This is evidence that God's judgment is just, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. Here ends the epistle. We rise in honor of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 24, beginning the 36th verse. The words of Jesus. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came 
and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with the hand mill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So, you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Here ends the Holy Gospel. It's time. If it's the day before Christmas and someone says, it's time, you'll all be happy. If it's the day before the disaster, that might be something else. Some of you might not know what this is. What is it? It's an alarm clock. Why is it called an alarm clock? Not just to wake you up. There's an alarm. Because if you don't get up Monday through Friday, what could happen? You'd miss school or work. Now, if you're listening carefully to the gospel reading, see if I know how to do this anymore. There's going to come an end. There's going to come a final alarm. And it's been set only by God the Father. Uh Uh-oh, that was too quick. Did you hear it? How many of you thought it would be that fast? I didn't. Then it gets louder. I think it's going to get louder, but we don't need to do all that. When Jesus talked to his disciples, it was the day before he was going to go to the cross. He knew what was going to happen, and he understood the timing was just right. So he talks to his disciples about not knowing when the hour would be. How many of you think that I will die before you? Oh, Emily, what did you say? Maybe? Is it possible one of you could die before me? Yes. The thing is about the end of life or at the end of time, you don't know when God the Father has set his alarm, when the end will come. So what's the point? If you don't know when, you should always be alert and ready. Could Jesus come again at the end of time before church is done? Yes. However, in your heart of hearts, you think, no, that couldn't be, but you don't know. How can you possibly be ready for the end? 
Jesus will come as the judge of all. How will you be ready for that? There's a little verse in the beginning of Mark's gospel. It's the first statement Jesus ever makes in that gospel. He says two things. First is repent, that is, always recognize your sins and admit them to God. Repent and believe the gospel or the good news of what he did for you at the cross. As long as throughout your life you are repentant and believing this good news of forgiveness, you're always ready. Will you probably sin the moment before you die? Yes, but that's not the issue. The issue is, are you sorry for your sins, but most of all, trusting in Jesus? Because we're still sinful human beings. So Jesus is the key. The time when he comes again is known to no one. So always be ready. Okay, are you ready to go back? You're not ready to go back? It's time to go back. <laughs> Sanctify them by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Our text for this morning is that gospel reading from Matthew chapter 24. And the key verse is, as Jesus is discussing the end times, and prior to this he has told the disciples who are admiring all the pretty powerful buildings of the temple, he says the time is coming when not one stone will be left on top of another. It will all be destroyed. And they ask, when will these times come to be? His answer is basically this, of that day and of that hour knows no man, not the angels in heaven, not the Son, but the Father alone. The trouble with American culture and human culture in general is that there's no time for God. All of us are here on a Sunday morning, which is a whole lot more than a lot of people can say. And yet, if you look at how you use time throughout the week, is it clear to other people that God is first? Or is he somewhere way down the scale? Is praying important? Then you'll take time to do it. Is reading Scripture and meditating on it? If that's important, you'll take time to do it. It's been noted in very modern times, except for people who are electronically challenged, you can tell what's important in people's lives by how much they are using that electronic device. And it's not merely that they become addicted to it, it becomes their whole life, their meaning, their purpose. Everything is tied up with that electronic thing. And God forbid that they would lose it or break it or flush it down the toilet by mistake. The end would be coming. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon said there is a time that is a right time for every purpose under heaven. The main purpose under heaven is God. I invite you to read that little book and find out if that's not true. 
to set your heart on any other meaning and purpose of life is to make your life empty, meaningless. That's not what God would have us do with the precious gift of our time, which, by the way, at some point will come to an end. And so in Isaiah, the prophet says, be eagerly seeking the Lord when or as long as he is near. Seek him while he may be found. It's not as though that God is your lapdog, that he will come to your bidding anytime you feel like it. He is Lord. You are not. When should you come? How is he near? He is near to you when you are about the business of God's kingdom, which has to do with those things that are so not done these days. Prayer, Scripture, confession of sins, serving in God's kingdom, especially, Luther said, God's Word. If you're into that Word, not only hearing it once, but repeating it throughout the day, to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it, as an ancient prayer said, that's significant, and that's where God may be found. Again, He is not your lapdog to come running every time you think you need something. He is near to you in word and sacrament. And so Isaiah further says, now is the acceptable time, now is the day of salvation, quoted also by the Apostle St. Paul. But that's telling us that all the time should be God's time. The danger is if you get used to putting God off, if you get used to spending your time with non-godly things, then when the end comes, you won't know what to do. You may well be in a complete and absolute panic. This will either be at the end of your life or at the end of time. Now, all this business about Christ coming again and judgment, the modern world doesn't have much worry about that. First of all, most of the modern world doesn't think there's any sort of God out there anyway. Why worry about judgment? The reason that people don't want to trust in God or have any notion of it is they think that's a way of getting out from under any judgment whatsoever. They can salve their conscience with good old atheism. No God, no judgment. Yet what does modern America do? They simply switch out God as judge for something else. The judge that people are worried about now is not God. But what does intelligent society think? It's called being politically correct. What do people feel bad about? What do they feel judgment regarding? Not the Ten Commandments. Are you environmentally friendly? Do you do everything and watch those little symbols on all the plastic jugs and jars? Do you take them to the right place at the right time? Do you take all of your lawnmower clippings and put them in an approved mulching pit? Some people get very bent out of shape 
for not doing these special things? Are you working with all your might to help mankind overcome global warming? If you're not, you are certainly a worthless person. The Ten Commandments have been laid aside in favor of man's own judgments about what is good and right and beneficial. Ten Commandments? Don't worry. But this world better worry. All the terrible events that happen all around us, all of the power of God shown in hurricanes, floods, fires, natural disasters, is not just, as some say, upsetting Mother Nature. There is no Mother Nature. That is idolatry. That's more PC correctness. Those things come to us, according to the Old Testament, as a reminder that the end is coming. Even the Old Testament reading in Joel, the greater context is that there's a terrible influx of locusts who are devouring everything in sight. There's going to be hunger, there's going to be death and destruction, but Joel sees it as a symbol of the final judgment of God at the end. Our Heavenly Father tries to get our house in order by allowing certain tragedies to happen in life. He's not doing it out of meanness. He's doing it out of fatherly care to catch our attention. What's the basis of judgment? If Jesus Christ is the judge, by what will he judge us? If you are any kind of legalist, if you're any kind of person who thinks that by his goodness he will avoid judgment, you're in the same boat as the ancient medieval church, the church that Luther found so corrupt and confused. There's one criteria that God will look at for judgment. How many of you know it? If you don't know it, I ask right now, why don't you know it? Because if you don't know it, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ Paul says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, says the Apostle Paul. If you try to throw in anything you've done or accomplished or any legalistic standing, you're not going to stand. You'll be condemned. In the Gospel of John, you know John 3.16. And two verses later, you will find the one criterion that Christ the judge will judge you and me upon. Does that help any? John 3.16, run it through your mind for a moment. There's the key, in a sense, to the answer to this question. But now John 3, verse 18. He who believes in him, that is in Christ, is not condemned. He who does not believe, that is in Christ, is condemned already 
because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The examination that we have to do every single day is not merely how do I stand before God because based on the Ten Commandments we all are condemned. But do you know the one way of salvation? Trusting constantly that Jesus is your payment for sin but he's also your righteousness. That's why Luther loved the verse in Romans 3. We therefore conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now having said all this, some of you may like to quibble or have a little argument with me. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 again. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive good or evil according to what he has done in the body. Doesn't that sound like judgment based on merit or accomplishment? Ah, but of one, what kind? There are two different ways to look at accomplishments. A little further along, Paul will say, everything that does not proceed out of faith is sin. In other words, if what you're doing is a fruit that comes from faith, a love and thankful action back to Jesus for all of his love for you, it's pleasing in God's eyes. But if it does not proceed out of faith in Christ, but if it proceeds out of some notion that by doing your good that you can somehow avoid judgment, everything that proceeds out of faith, that does not proceed out of faith, is sin. Can you see the difference? Besides, this is not legalism. Just before that in verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Again, faith in Christ Jesus. And he further says a little further along, for the love of Christ controls us. It's the gospel that you recognize at the cross that causes us to be doing these things. Not some sort of vain hope of saving ourselves. Christ's love controls us. And even a little further along, he, that is Christ, died on behalf of all so that those who now live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What you do in the body in this life is for Christ. It is thanksgiving and love. The only danger left is timing. And that's what this text is. From Matthew chapter 24. There are some who have claimed over the centuries that they're able to find out from Revelation or from Daniel or from some other obscure point. They could figure out a timeline of when Jesus is coming. How many of you ever heard of John Hagee? Oh, maybe you don't want to put your hand up. He has a huge timeline that he puts on his radio ministry and television ministry. 
about where we are on the timeline to the end. Of that day and of that hour knoweth no man, not the angels, not the Son, but the Father alone. Anybody, no matter how famous or infamous, who claims to tell you where you are and how far away from the end is just plain full of beans. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Because if you're told when the end is going to come and you're back here, <clears throat> your old sinful nature will say to yourself, Oh, I got plenty of time. I can have a little fun in life. And when it gets near the end, then I can buck up and become repentant and sorrowful and get my house in order before Jesus comes. That whole way of thinking that you can figure out the end and then figure out your time will only lead to a disaster. In every place where Jesus talks about the end, it always comes suddenly, when no one expects it. As the gospel said at one moment, the people at the time of Noah were eating and drinking and having a big marriage party until that very moment when God's judgment came on the ancient world. Suddenly the flood and the door of the ark was closed. Don't try to second-guess God as for his timing. Don't even say to yourself, I've got lots of years ahead of me. I've got time to become religious. Who says? Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. If you're going to hear Jesus' voice today, then be ready today with a simple repentant heart and trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior. That's the key. Amen. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen.